touch them all, Joe. <laughs> Andy Crosby, the golden goal. So we've already covered so many topics on the Backstage Project podcast. But one I'm hoping to discuss today will really take it up a notch for us. So Emily and Craig, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Not really. Thanks for being here. I um, What I'm trying to do is just make make my our audience smarter because of the conversation we're going to have today, but uh, we're going to have to do it together. I, I, I've tried now with uh, our first dozen or so episodes to do it on my own, but it's always the guests that make the difference on this podcast. So I think I've got a few years on, on both of you in terms of age, uh, even you, Craig. And so I'm, I need you to give me a little bit of latitude with, with my opening question for, for the both of you. So I grew up in Toronto and I'll just admit it, I was more of a Blue Jays fan than a Leafs fan. And if I date myself kind of back to the mid eighties, maybe I was in grade four or five and I'm calling out grade four or five for a, a specific reason. And at one point I read some research that you make your decisions on your favorite teams for life by the time you're about in grade four or five. So a very important data point that we might come back to a, a little later. So just to kind of set the table a little more, I'm all of a sudden into trading baseball cards. I mean, fast forward all these years, we now know they were grossly overprinted, so they're generally worthless, but that's a side story. And the Blue Jays are a perennial contender very quickly in the mid eighties. And so I went to a number of games and I always remember they were selling a program and in the program, kind of every homestand, it was maybe the same, same cover, same pages, but they had a scorecard inside of that. And it really, it really was something that boggled my mind at the time thinking that people actually filled that out, but it was actually my dad sitting next to me who did a lot of that. And then I'd go to the game and I was really, even at that early age, I was into the stats and I would have to wait until the next day till the newspaper came out. You know, when I can see, you know, let's say George Bell hit a home run. I couldn't, I couldn't see until the next day how he was doing in like the home run race, as an example. So that's 35 years ago. So I need your help, the both of you, of how do we go from 35 years ago to today and sports logic and visual AI, where you're capturing thousands of unique data points virtually every second? What happened? So I, I can speak a little bit to uh, sort of what's happened on the data collection and, and dissemination uh, side of it. Uh, and I think Emily can probably speak more to, you know, what we're doing with it and how people are actually engaging with that data. But there is, there is actually sort of a, there's a second leap that happened um, between uh, sort of getting all that information the next day and where we are today. Um, so, you know, right up until about 10 years ago, uh, there was a real push from a number of companies to just collect more data. Um, you know, not, not a lot of people know this, but of all the data points that you see across uh, media across, you know, the, the, the professional teams are using, that leagues are using, that the sports bettors are using. All that data up until, you know, maybe 10 years ago was all collected manually. Uh, companies, a handful of companies were sending people in to stadiums to sit on, you know, and either call in and give information to, um, to a central location. Uh, or you had thousands and actually tens of thousands of people sitting, watching video and manually tagging those videos. And all that data is what actually populates all of the, the media that you see. I mean, even for the, the bulk of it, even today. Um, now, in about 2015, 2016, um, there was a huge shift in technology and technological capabilities just in, the, in, in all industries, but you know, particularly in our case to, to sport, where computer vision and machine learning 
are enabling us to actually take videos in and capture shape and motion patterns using algorithms and actually begin to determine uh, <clears throat> stats and, and metrics in a way that only people could do prior to that point. Uh, and so, you know, we are now, we're a company with uh, 20 full-time PhDs. Uh, we have 12 university research uh, labs that we've partnered with. Um, you know, we're a company of, of 100 people with 10 patents. And so we have really, really doubled down on making videos intelligent. Uh, and, you know, the, the first application of those intelligent videos are sport videos. Uh, videos that give us hundreds of, of millions of data points that we then synthesize into data that is interesting, data that is relevant to the games. All right. Well, that was a great answer. I think you, you, it's computer vision, so we can't exactly visualize it on, on, on a podcast. But I think, Emily, and you're, you're going to help us here is so you have all this data and now you have customers and we're not going to get too deep into all the, you know, the nooks and crannies of the sport logic business, but I'm hoping we get into some of it. So how are your clients actually interacting with, with that data, Emily? And I'm, I'm skewing this more toward the team side because I know right now as we're recording this, teams are really the bulk of your business. Yeah, so basically we um, give the data to the team, but we also give them insights. Like Craig mentioned, there's so much data point out there that what you can do with it. So at the end of it, it's more about player recruitment. It could be trade. We know like there's some trades happening right now. Could be game analysis, uh, opponent analysis, and also insights about uh, how a team is playing, how you should play against that team. And for example, media, because I know media is one of um, one of your forte. In media, what we will do is we will give them insight about what to look during that game. So like, oh, heads up, and I'll send a Crosby. That's this pattern in the last game. That's what he could do. This is how you play like when you play against, I don't know, Montreal Canadian. So we'll give them insights and stories that maybe a human will not see, but that you can see towards the stats. Because as Craig mentioned, we're able to collect so much data. There's so much data out there that you need to like crunch them and massage them to be able to see the story towards. Now the story and... And we're going to help the audience here because I'm going to get the two of you to tell a couple stories. I've had the pleasure of hearing Craig or his team uh, share a few nuggets over time, whether it was soccer or hockey. But let's paint the picture a little bit around data that came from your um, from your technology that you stored, that clients were paying for you to analyze for them. How would we see that as you know, a consumer or a fan from what you can talk about that's not you know confidential and proprietary to your clients? Well, you know, here's, here's one example. Um, we, we might find a, a pattern uh, in the data whereby, let's say one of the metrics that we would collect is uh, line carries in the NHL, right? We might show that Connor McDavid's line carries are just off the charts. Um, and you might show that against a certain type of defensive line, it's, you know, stronger or weaker. And so if the game is coming up where um, he's playing against Toronto, right? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, so he's playing and, and what we would be able to say is like these are the types of, of shots you're going to get because there's a strong chance that is line carries are going to be off the charts in this game or that maybe this defensive line might actually defend against that type of line carry uh in tonight's game so you end up basically with a story that comes out of an insights engine that says watch for this type of play tonight watch for these turnarounds in the neutral zone watch for uh these line carries in these types of shots and here's how this goalie might defend against them right so 
we, we go from sort of the, this sort of top down tons of data to all of a sudden having sort of a more synthesized story that is really particular to what is likely going to happen tonight. And that is maybe interesting or anomalous. I'm going to push you a little bit. And Emily, you can join in if, if you have the answer too. So a couple of years ago, um, Craig and, and, and I and a whole bunch of other data people were in Boston for the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference and SportLogic was on a panel about data. And there was a story told about the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby and the influence that your data had on trade deadline day. So because you said it at a conference, I'm hoping that you can kind of repeat the story here if you know which one I'm talking about. So I don't remember the exact story. Um... It was something about, the, it was, if I remember correctly, it was something about the Penguins were looking for players who can get Crosby the puck. Yeah, it was Ian Cole. Yeah, and it was uh, it was one of the first ones. Um, this was actually so. Uh, this is almost one of my first introductions to hockey in general. When when we first brought on uh, Chris Boucher, and uh, he came on and uh, sort of educated all of us. Um, yeah, it was uh, they. And I'm now that I'm on a podcast, I'm going to completely butcher this. Um, but the it was they were really strong at getting the puck into the offensive zone. They were really strong at getting the puck uh, into the slot and getting the puck in the net from the slot, but generating those plays from the defensive line forward um, or in, from the defensive zone forward, uh, picking up the puck, those loose puck recoveries, uh, getting the D to D passes, getting the, um, getting the puck in th through the defensive zone and through the neutral zone was where they were struggling. Um, and this was before they kind of had their, um, uh, their, their reign of, of that offensive line. Uh, and it was, yeah, they, they brought on Ian Cole because, you know, he was, I think in this one particular metric, he was the 12th, uh, 12th ranked player in the NHL. Uh, and it was something that we knew that they really were on their game because they were, they were looking at players that were showing up on our, um, on our radar that nobody was really noticing. Right. You know, he wouldn't have shown up on, on any particular um, standard stat anywhere. This guy was not scoring goals. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing anything unique to standard NHL stats, but he was, you know, he was one of the best players in the NHL at driving the puck. You know, he's, he's one of the strongest puck moving uh, players in, in the league that year. And so, you know, you pair that with a strong team in the offensive zone and you're going to start scoring goals. As they did, as they did. And, and I think for the audience, just to paint the picture. So that's data. If we turn the clock back just a few years ago. Right? So we know that that kind of data is not being recorded. It is playing off the score sheet. You know, there might be you know, coaches or video coaches who review that. There might be services that maybe predated or coexisted with, with, you, with your company that did that as well. But in terms of an order of magnitude, like how much more data are you capturing in kind of this compressed amount of time, maybe even a second, compared to like what people were otherwise doing. And I'm sure there's people who are still doing it the old fashioned way today, but they're clearly not your customers yet, but they should be soon. We capture thousands of data points in a game. And I would say like how many events, Craig, exactly we capture in a game? In a, so in a standard uh, game report, just like a, a basically, a, think about like a play-by-play. Uh, we'll have about anywhere from 3,500 to 4,000 um, individual either puck touches or attempted puck touches. So you can think of every type of loose puck recovery, every pass, every stick check, every body check, every line carry. Uh, anytime there's a, a stick on a puck or an attempted stick on a puck, we are capturing it and labeling it. 
And then we're providing all of the different contextual pieces around it, right? Who else is on the ice? Where are they located? Um, was it successful or not? Um, so basically, like, I don't think anyone could do it while watching a game. Or at least they would need to put the game at a really slow motion pace to be able to capture all that uh, all that data point. That's what we used to call in broadcast throwing bodies at yeah. it. Well, don't get me wrong, too. We do. Like, we have... Uh, we, we, our, our NHL product is not something where you just sort of turn the, the switch and turn it on and it goes. Um, this thing started out when, when Chris uh, Boucher first joined us and he was manually sitting watching games in slow motion on TV and, you know, tagging them into Excel. Um, we then, he came on and we ramped up our team. We hired, you know, let's see if 30 people could do one game. Let's, let's just ramp this thing up and, and you know, once we collect that data, then we'll take the innovation team and we'll begin to integrate our, our innovation into that product downstream. So our NHL product is still not something that is just fully automated, turn the switch and it goes. Uh, our soccer product is, uh, but so we do, have, we do have people who are watching the game, who are uh, supervising the data, who are uh, cleaning it, collecting some information and, and it's an integrated process with, with our technology. It's actually, I mean, I, I'm really, the, what this team has built is is something beyond even my wildest uh, comprehension. It, it is for it is for me too, and I mean I'll, I'll tell the story since we're all together. I mean I I knew I knew of Craig from being uh, you know an Olympian back um, in 2006. You were in Turin. Former life. Former life. It's okay. I'm very we're, we're, as a Canadian. I'm very proud that you represented us. But the um, you know when I when I met Craig, um, I didn't really know what Sport Logic was. Um, I it was at a point probably in maybe 2018, I'm, I'm going to assume. When, um, I was familiar with um, the computer vision, more so from cutting highlights, um, which companies like uh, WSC, for those people who listen to the podcast, you know them. There was, a, there was another company that predated them called Live Clips that got acquired, I believe, by a company that got taken off the market back maybe in about 2012 or 2013. So the computer vision AI has been around for a while, but the way that that Craig has has been able to basically productize it um, is what is what was really special for me. So in particular, so I might have played soccer like you know, every Canadian when I was four, five, six years old, but there was too much running, so I found baseball very quickly. Um, but fa fast forward to you know the start of the Canadian Prem Premier League and uh, where I was deeply involved in the technology side, and somehow uh, the file around uh, data partners fell on my desk. And that's where I got to meet Craig and his team. And um, in particular, Craig, there was a stat that you were talking about uh, at the time, which I had never even heard of this. Since then, I'm very familiar with it. But it was this concept of on the ball and off the ball. And, and maybe tell me a little bit about where that, where that kind of comes from, from its origin. And then maybe, maybe, Emily, if you can kind of dovetail the answer into how that's productized for your customers um, to make, uh, make use of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you how we actually tried to productize it early on and how I failed before Emily joined. And then maybe, you know, she actually took sort of a, a concept of of how to productize something and uh, and changed up our internal processes and arrived at a, a groundbreaking product. I think that's maybe the, the right approach here. So we were looking initially at uh, there's two types of data. There's tracking data where the players are at any given time. And then there's event data. So think of a pass, a discrete action that happened at a certain time. So 
what we were trying to do is just sort of boil the ocean, build all of this fully automated event detection, and then build all the tracking, merge those data sets, and then come up with this massive piece of technology that just, you know, uh, solved the industry. Um, what was at the time was failing, and this was uh, I don't know, almost two, three years ago, somewhere in that range, the, the activity recognition was not going well. Um, the passes, the shots, like we were getting decent enough uh, accuracy to build sort of like aggregate models around, but not enough to send to a team and say, hey, queue up your videos based on these passes. So we were, um, we were kind of trying really hard to automate just that. What we realized was that there was a, um, there was a need for the uh, metrics around the tracking, right? Sort of the, how much distance has a player covered in the game? How many times did the player accelerate? How many times did, was the player at full sprint? Um, when a pass happens, contextually, um, you know, what are the different types of positioning? Was the team packing? Was, uh, what did the pass cross the defensive line? And so, you know, while I was out kind of really trying to just fully automate something, Emily came in and said, you know, show us what our technology actually does today. And she was able to bridge a gap between our R&D team and our product team. Um, I mean, rather than steal your thunder, Emily, I might as well. Yeah. <laughs> so basically what we did is we sat down with our innovation team, our soccer expert, and also some engineering. And we said, okay, what do we have as a technology, which we had was um, tracking. We were able to track out of based on a broadcast video. So we're able to capture data out of broadcast video, then what kind of information we can give to our coaches, to either recruiters, um, and what kind of information that come off the ball that could complement currently what's being collected on the ball. So we started with the yeah, basic framework with the innovation team, and we look at, okay, how can we almost like reverse engineering what we wanted to do. And uh, we came out with our first product um, in soccer, which is actually taking broadcast video, generating data out of it, but you can see you can see player performance that are not on the ball and be able to do analysis with that. That was our first iteration. And now we just come out with our second, which is um, generating physical metrics out of it. So being able to know exactly the players, what they're doing on the ball and off the ball and having this kind of like data set that is consistent across the league, because probably no, but like big team or big leagues like the APL will have a lot of data available to them. But when you talk about League One or if you go even lower, like in Argentina, they don't necessarily have um, a provider that can give them those type of data. So taking the broadcast for us easy and it's uh, able to like democratize the data that they can use for uh, either recruitment or game analysis. No, that's a great explanation. I think for people who understand uh, technology and the way the world is moving, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, what amazed me there, Emily, listen to you speak, and I, I did a little bit of research in advance of today looking at your background, but but it seems like, I know, I know you played sports when you, when you were younger, um, but the, you weren't an Olympian yet. We're all hopefuls. Um, but, but this th I'm too too old to be an Olympian. Now. Oh, come on. All right. All right. But like when you think about your career path, like coming to Sport Logic, like it's not like it was me coming to Sport Logic who spent all these years in media and the data side and understanding the feeds. I mean, this from what I could tell, this is like your first job 
in sports. How did you get up to speed to be able to you know, be able to take Craig's kind of mad scientist vision and put it into a product? Um, I actually have a really odd background. I have a fashion degree. That's how I started. Fashion degree, realized it was not my forte, was not my place. And I did uh, online uh, before Uber Eats and before DoorDash. Started like 10 years ago, uh, online ordering system that I kind of uh, did it with uh, my husband and started really liking technology and learning about it. Um, did a few startup and joined Craig and basically it's about passion, right? For me, was able to marry sport, which I played for many years. And I'm also like a, like a Montreal born, so a hockey fan um, and be able to join sport logic. It was okay. Awesome. Like deep tech technology and they're able to do things that no one kind of understand and is able to use and you can marry that for sports. It was the perfect match. All right. Well said. Well said, Craig. Good find on your part. So I know, I know your customers are, are, you already talked a little bit about the teams and you kind of touched on, on broadcast a bit, but turning the clock back. And I did, again, I looked this up coming into today. It's been almost a hundred years since the first radio broadcast of a sport event, sporting event and television followed after that. And we already know, because you guys done a great job talking about it, we already know that you you have reams of data, like beyond our comprehension. So when you look at broadcast now as, as media, and we could talk a little bit about the media business too as part of, part of our discussion here, but those insights and those sound bites that have been part of a live sports broadcast, radio or television for a hundred years, like why do they need you today? What, what happened? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, th there's always this sort of, um, I don't want to say competition. I guess it is competition. It is competition to uh, create the most engaging content, right? And this is something where why would you watch um, hockey on one network versus another? Uh, or why would you stream it on one network versus sit in front of your television and, and get that sort of broadcast experience? And I think there's a couple of trends that are happening right now. One is just the, the need for supplemental content and just to be able to beat competitors, right? For every media outlet to try to just be the best one. The other thing that you're seeing is a, a lot more um, personalized online streaming. And when I say personalized, the ability to keep one viewer engaged in the game who's watching for one reason and another viewer engaged in the game is watching for another, right? What we can do is, you know, the the insights the the insights engine that we built out of this data can essentially create any type of story, thousands of different stories in any given game. So to be able to create automated stories and automated content, what you can start to do is actually personalize the experience, so that when a viewer is sitting watching a game of of hockey, they actually get the content and the insights and the understanding of the game according to how they want to see it. Right? There may be sort of somebody comes home and. Um, just wants to sit and you know crack open a six pack and, and watch the game that person might not want to know data they might just want to sit and enjoy the experience right so maybe the right piece of content for that that viewer is interesting you know, cool highlights right and all they need is highlights how do you tee up those highlights one is you need to determine that a highlight story is the right product two you need to have the uh the insights the actual highlights happen at this point this point at this point then you need to tee up the video and send it to them viewer number two 
might be a crazy stat head, right? Might be the, the next Bill James. That person probably wants to have a more insightful, deeper dive into the second line, um, you know, forward and, you know, the great time he's been having over the last five games and how he's going to perform today. The ultimately the data and the insights engine are the, the, the tools that can deliver those same experiences for one viewer or another. And so I think just personalization and engaging content is, is sort of the, the short answer <laughs> to, to the question. And I, yeah, and I will add for a broadcaster, it's also the ability of covering a scale of games. So like basically if you're like, let's say you're TSN and you're about to like, you want to cover many games, then you need someone to write an article about each game or pregame article or postgame, which in their case, being able to generate that automatically give you the ability of covering all the games in the NHL in one night, as an example. Same thing if you want to, I don't know, you want to be able to do um, some story about different game, but then you're able to get it quicker than if a human will go in through the entire list and look at the stats. So there's like personalized content, but I think also there's like a skill aspect of it. So let's let's go into that a little bit now. So. I think what you're talking about. So we, we started kind of with broadcasters and, and I got it. And then we very quickly dovetailed into what I would call digital media and which is not a new phenomenon, you know, for 25 years since kind of ESPN launched their site, we, we've been in this era. We TSN, I'm assuming is a client, uh, maybe, maybe Sportsnet as well. Uh, we don't have to mention that, but the point is they both have experiences. Uh, I'll call them a game center or a match center experience. And those experiences likely have some kind of a, a game preview um, and, a, and a post-game wrap-up. And, and that, that was a long slog for a long time for, to produce, well, let alone one for everyone, which for every single match. But also, you know, if you're Sportsnet or TSN or ESPN or CBC or Yahoo or whatever, I mean, you're all using the same article doesn't really help. So being unique is important. The cost of that, as we've seen, and, and previously on, on the Backstage Project podcast, you know, we've had Steve McAllister, if you don't know him, you know, one, one of the great digital media journalist leaders in the country from first called Mail and then Yahoo. And I've, we followed his career over time and essentially his kind of role got eliminated over time because one, the, the demand for all that content didn't justify the expense of it, given the monetization of it. And then here you guys come along and I know you don't necessarily do this on your own, but you have insights that, you know, someone sitting in the press box writing a post game wrap up is not even going to have. So how, where does this kind of go and, and what's your current role in disrupting what I would call staple content for the sports fan um, versus, you know, what, what we see happening where media as we kind of know it is kind of failing um, just because they, they haven't moved to subscription quick enough. The ad model doesn't necessarily sustain itself and we won't even get into betting. I know Craig and I, we might get into that a little bit. You'll help us Emily with the future if we can, but let's, let's stick for the most part to a traditional media monetization and, and how you're powering and enabling the disruption. I think also we're supporting them, right? So the person in the press box is, our goal is to support them to be able to tell like Craig was saying like a different story or like you mentioned like there's like obviously competition without different network so how can we support them and teach them 
how to look at the data and how to find those stories. And we also have people behind. So we have a service desk that you're able to ask questions during the game. And we have someone able to answer you and guide you towards it. So I think it's more about supporting than actually replacing. Have you guys toyed around with creating your own pregame uh, previews and recaps? And is anyone buying that yet? So yeah, this is uh, we we have a um, a fully automated content um, uh, content product that that is based on our insights engine uh, that launched the day that uh, the NHL shut down. <laughs> so is anybody buying it? Is a, is is one uh, one is is a good question. We'll know as uh, as the season uh, wraps up and starts to build into next season. Uh, what I can tell you though is that we have, uh, I mean, we do work with every major um, hockey broadcast partner and most digital clients. If, if you're consuming hockey content of some sort, you're probably seeing our stuff uh, in, in the background. Um, what's really interesting is you touched on it exactly. The, the ad model is breaking, right? So to go to, I don't know, uh, the Winnipeg Free Press, right? To try to do, um, like, to try to get interesting, engaging content everywhere is impossible today. You have to have automated content. Um, I would argue there's there's enough manpower out there to, as Emily said, to to write stories. Like to, but in order to research a story really well, to get into sort of the the nuts and bolts of the story and tell a really good story takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. If you've got a company behind you that's giving you five to ten possible stories with supporting data points and supporting images, to be able to really do some great, fast, good content, um, it, you're suddenly enabled to do something in a market where you never would have been able to before. Now, everybody's gonna cover the big teams, everybody's gonna cover the biggest markets, but to, you know, maybe there's some beat writer in Grand Prairie, Alberta, and there's some young kids who've just come from Grand Prairie and are now in the NHL. We can now tell five, 10 different stories a night on those kids, you know? And, and that's the kind of thing that's, that has never been possible and to be able to scale that type of content is really exciting. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll touch on Emily's point as well with the um, supporting writers. You know, there was this whole, uh, there's, there's a fear of AI out there and a fear of sort of job elimination and, uh, and, and automation. And what we found when we first started working with NHL teams is we started telling them, this is how your players are doing and this is how your lines are doing. And this is what you should do. The minute we got to, this is what you should do. They were telling us to shut up. <laughs> it's like, we don't care what you have to say, analytics company, just give us the tools we need. And so what we found is there's just a lot more power in giving the tools that enable people to do their jobs better. Uh, and that's really where we focused all of our automation uh, is, is allowing that beat writer in, uh, in Grand Prairie to write 10 times more uh, and have more information, more insights to write that content. That's a great answer from both of you. I think when you when you think about where we are right now in the world and from a technology point of view, and when in particular sports and how what we've witnessed and going to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference really allows this to come into focus. We've witnessed there's been an arms race in many leagues to grab data scientists or lawyers turn data scientists, which are seems to be a few of out there. And I think what you just said, Craig, the part about about the tools. And I would further that to say like the, and the democratization of, of the tools so that every team doesn't matter if you're, you know, the biggest team or the smallest team in a smaller market, because we know the economics and sport are not balanced. 
Some leagues do it better than others, but they're certainly not balanced. And so the weakest team financially still has access to the best resources and best information and really puts the impetus back on the way it used to be, which was, you know, coaching and listening and taking insights and turning that into action. And it sounds like I'm happy for you guys to share what, what you think about this, but it sounds like, you know, as a startup, which you kind of technically are, you're still in a, in a period of growth and raising money and we won't get into the financials, but it sounds like you're on a very interesting journey to enable many sports leagues, media, both publishing and broadcast to really up their game and focus on the things they do best instead of these things, which are kind of relegated to PhDs. It sounds like. Hang on. Do you want to be our pitch man? (laughs) (laughs) That's a separate conversation. That was great. No, no, you're bang on. This is exactly it is. I think there, uh, you go back to, you know, your initial comment um, 30 years ago when you were looking at the stat page, data will not be stats. Um, data will be converted to content, will be converted to tools to allow people to do their jobs better. Um, and, and that's- And faster. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's, that's the revolution that's happening right now is it's data collection, it's game insights, and then it's the tools that will allow, that will sort of even the playing field, right? You know, we can talk to, in, in soccer, we can go talk to a Liverpool. These guys are well known to be the smartest data team uh, data team in, in the world, or one of, right? Um, they're, they've got a team of scientists. They've got all of these tools that a second league championship team is just not going to have, right? Uh, so being able to give every team along every tier in every league uh, the same capabilities and the same insights is, uh, is really where, like, about you guys but i get goosebumps just saying it and this is really where where we see this going and i think when, when you and i first met and the deal that we did and i think there was a press release about it so it's all public information is um you know we we looked at the canadian premier league i get it, it was an upstart league and um and they needed your help around um you know, like a player index and we were able to kind of justify uh bringing on sport logic for much much more than the player index but that's a league that we had hoped would try and do all these things, democratize information, maybe centralize scouting, also make tools available. And I know that not everything works out the way things are intended. And quite frankly, COVID has wreaked havoc on them as well as every other human being on the planet. So we won't, we won't judge them based on, on year two. But in, in, in your mind, you know, instead of going team to team, how much more benefit do you think you can give to teams by having relationships with their governing bodies, their, their leagues? I think the way that you guys approached that was uh, was brilliant with the CPL, to be, to be honest. Um, so there, there's actually a hidden gem in there that I, I think I've got to highlight before we even answer the, the question is that there that index that was created was really revolutionary. The, the, the uh, uh, technology behind it and the approach. So most indexes would look at on the ball touches and sort of say these players are sort of the top players this week. Um, what Emily mentioned about having off the ball, uh, things like pressing and packing and all of those, what, what went into that index was actually not only who was, uh, touching the ball the most, but who is having the most impact on the game, regardless of whether they touch the ball or not. Uh, it was a really revolutionary piece of technology that, that went into that index. Uh, we're really proud of it, uh, <laughs> regardless of whether, you know, this thing took off and changed the world or, or was impactful for, for, you know, a Canadian league. 
Um, but it was, uh, that was, that was, you know, Emily's fingerprint on, on that, that, um, insights engine and the, uh, uh, and the index. And it was awesome. Um, so how can that be impactful to teams? Let me, let me just answer that from an economic standpoint. It, it's no secret. These, the, the teams in the Canadian Premier League are not going to have the same budgets as the English Premier League, right? This is a startup league there. They need to, uh, double down or they need to, uh, bring their resources together and capitalize as much as like their dollars need to go really far. In that particular case, there was an opportunity to actually um, bring a sponsor on for that index, right? And, and actually do something so that fans had the ability to, um, uh, to, you know, get it, that there was a sponsor on board so that it was, it was lower cost for the league itself. And at the same time, the individual teams all had access to, uh, the underlying data, not only just that raw data, but also the end index as well. And a platform for their to achieve like either game analysis, we were talking earlier, um, player performance. So being able to have a kind of a full package, I think that's where like when you work with the league, you're able to equip each team with a rounded package. So from like media and broadcast, we had the index. From a league perspective, we have the tracking and we were able to give all the underlayer data. And for the teams, we were able to provide them with a tool to simplify their, their workflow. That, sound, that sounds good to me. Yeah, like that would never have been possible, right? <laughs> that would never have been possible had we just gone to those individual teams and, and asked them to, to, you know, cough up a budget. I, I don't think it would have been uh, feasible. We wouldn't have been able to make that investment and deliver that. So, um, you know, I, I think the, the CPL was really forward thinking in that they weren't just going, what is our, you know, we're going to pay this and we've got this media thing and that's it. They were really thinking like, how do we maximize this, give value to our teams, give value to our media partners, give value to, um, you know, any, any of the data distribution companies. And it was a, it was a really, I think, well thought out uh, relationship. Well, hopefully, you know, on, maybe on the backs of this uh, unfortunate situation we're all dealing with with COVID, but maybe on the backs of that, leagues begin to look a little more strategically and not just how they're deploying their capital and resources, but also how their, their, their teams are and come up with a little, a better approach that hopefully allows, you know, sport logic uh, and what you're doing to shine. When you're looking at sport logic, you know, you're collecting, and I don't, I didn't do the exact algorithm to get to this number but i would suspect that you're probably collecting as much data in one hockey game as the nhl collected up until like 2000 since it started yeah you're, you're probably not wrong and when, when you look at that and, and the scale of what you're doing wh where is it going and what what are some of the let's say bets that you're making as a company that you, you haven't cashed in on yet um to be able to capitalize on on the trajectory of, of where everything is going that you've already described today. I think it's always like more accurate, faster data that we look at collecting, but also applying a technology in different sports. We talk about hockey, we talk about soccer, we have an objective this year for um, football as well. So it's like, how can we take it's kind of like how you can take the moneyball approach, but put it across all the other sports. Um, like, for example, there's great data collecting in the NFL. There's no data being collected in college. Can we provide that? Right. So that's something we're working on that we're actually doing for this season. Um, so on the product side, it's always how can we collect more data faster and also the highest quality possible? 
Well, that sounded like a good product answer. And then Craig, we're looking at you for the CEO answer. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a, a couple of ways of answering. And I think where where is this going from a sport perspective? And that's exactly it, right? If we can scale this level of data down to college, what does that do for the young college kid who who wants to have that opportunity to get on a team, right? If the team is able to, with COVID as a perfect example, scouts can't go out and fly to every single stadium and, and watch every single game now, right? Having video available and having sort of a, a, an ability to focus, if the scout says, I'm looking for this type of player, and suddenly we've got 10,000 players and says, you know, look at these 50 players, because that's the style of player that you're looking for. What does that do for the kid who never, who might never have been noticed, right? Or never had the opportunity. So. That for me, I mean, if this was available when I was training, this would have completely changed my life. Um, so I think in terms of uh, what it does, uh, evening the playing field, giving kids opportunities that might not have already uh, previously had them. Uh, in terms of the fan experience, I think, like I said, uh, content, automated content uh, that is married with video um, that potentially even marries with sports betting pricing and, and data as, as legislation moves there. Um, and I would go one step further, right? For, for us, when we look at our technology, I mean, what we can do by taking exactly what we're doing in sport and applying it to medical imaging for, you know, um, you know, finding tumors as an example, or satellite imagery for better modeling climate change, right? Like there, there's a million and one things that we can actually do with this technology once you're able to make videos intelligent. Um, but I do think that we are really just at the beginning of this swell of the wave for, uh, uh, for, a, a, a brand new world of, uh, of sport. Yeah, I'm with you. And you guys did a great job with helping us all understand what you do and why you do it and, and where it's going. And before we, uh, before we let you go, we, on the Backstage Project podcast, we do have some questions that we like to ask uh, all of the guests that are on there. And uh, I, won't, I won't force both of you to answer each question. Um, you can, uh, it's whoever buzzes in first. How does that sound? So, if you had to pick one moment in your career, what, what would you say is the most memorable? In my career, it's a great question. Um, I would say like the aha moment when we had like the, so at SportLogic, I'll use SportLogic because it will be easier to explain, but like- Because your boss is on the-, on the... <laughs> Also because my boss, exactly. Um, uh, it's, so for me, it was the aha moment when we were able to sit down, like you had sports people, you had technical people and like researcher and be able to come up with our soccer product was phenomenal. Like you can tell everyone working together, speaking different languages, because at the end you have someone speaking soccer, someone speaking AI, and like you bring everyone around the, the table and you know, you like you hear a lot of like concept about design thinking and sprint methodology that were applied by Google and you actually see it in action and come up with a product that like no one ever thought of. That's exciting. So for me, that was one of like our, our, one of my greatest moments at SportLogic. Craig, we're going to give you a chance to give you to give us an elevator pitch on your moment. I'm gonna. There are so many, but I think probably the one that was that might make the best story. Uh, you know, actually, I, one of them was probably what Emily was uh, just described, which was kind of the first moment that I, I actually didn't directly input like this is how the product should be. I kind of trusted the team, and if something came out that I never would have done on my own. Uh, but the, I would say the one moment, so I uh, I cold called Mark Cuban uh, early on. Uh, I found his email address on like a forum, you know, it was like some 
Gmail address. <laughs> and it was like some publicly, somebody put it up somewhere. Uh, and I put together an email and I, I sent a package and I was sitting on the Metro home uh, and I got an email from Mark Cuban saying, tell me more about the technology. I was like, ah, I just got an email from Mark Cuban, like screen cap, send it to my friends, like tried to get them on a, on a call. And um, yeah, and, and you know, uh, about two months later, he, he actually invested in the company. And But I think there was just this one moment when I think we were like four or five people in the company at the time. It was just getting on the phone. He called back. He's gonna. He's interested. It was really cool. Well, it's a good thing you weren't driving. Yeah, true. <laughs> so another another question for you guys, and uh, and this is more for someone who uh, is wants to get into kind of the space that you're in. Which I'm still having a hard time deciding exactly what space you're in, but the question will be for you, so you guys will figure it out. So, what kind of advice do you have for people who are looking to get involved with? kind of the, the work that you guys are doing, not necessarily for sport logic, but, but, but in the industry of kind of the future of sports and data. For me, it's about network. There's so many people available, like the internet is free and you can just jump on it and contact, right? So at the end of it, I would just say like, try to contact people, try to like do a project for someone. Um, like we have people like who started as uh, intern because they submitted like uh, research on sports and they, they become part of our employees. So I would say like really about networking and trying to pay, to pay people. Everyone is there to help. That's a great answer. And then kind of closing question we have is, um, you know, looking back on the, on the early days of your career, and I know for both of you, like how you define the early days of your career might be tough. Maybe Craig harder for you than Emily, but, is there anything that, that you know now uh, that you wish you knew then? Yeah, uh, think bigger. Um, you know, I say the early days of my career, I, I started late. I retired from sport when I was um, 30 uh, and I, I then went into school. So I didn't even really start in the workforce until I was like in my early 30s, right? I was like 32, 33. Um, I wrote an independent study in school and that was basically what started uh, the initial days of sport logic. And I think if I could go back now, when we raised our first financing round, I was thinking this is going to totally change professional teams, right? And you know that's what I was pitching. We got our first financing. We grew the, the company. I think if I had really, truly taken a step back and said, no, we are going to change the world with this thing. Um, and, I, and I think if I had really taken a bigger step forward earlier, we probably would have brought on got some of that early momentum. We probably would have done it two, three years earlier than we did. Um, and I think... So don't ever let your own thinking uh, limit you. Um, don't ever let your own position in life limit you. You know, this was when I started this company, it was a $40,000 a year job. And, you know, I was just coming out with a ton of student debt. And my wife fortunately supported me in, in that decision. And, but, you know, it was just believing that uh, we had something in our hands that could really change the world. Um, you know, if you're sitting at home and you know that, don't ever think small, think really big because, uh, that, that vision people will buy into very quickly. Um, there's a, a going to completely butcher this quote, but uh, um, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood and probably themselves will not be realized. Make big plans, aim high in hope and work, remembering that a noble logical diagram once recorded will never die, but long after we're gone, be a living thing asserting itself with ever growing consistency there. That one's better. I wanted, I wanted to continue on with what, what you were saying around, around dreaming big. And, and so we're Canadian and I know we get, 
mislabeled in, in, in the world stage around, around being that bold, kind of the bold that you just described. So how much do you think that early thinking of, of, you, of yourself, like don't dream that big was cultural um, versus um, you know, what I think, you know, when you have an investor like, like Mark Cuban, there's got to be environmental factors that just force you to dream bigger. Yeah, it was uh, dreaming as big as we're dreaming today was iterative. Uh, you know, I can say and it was almost every investor that came on that kind of helped me gain the confidence to paint that bigger picture. Uh, and Cuban coming on was was definitely one. Um, but, you know, we are Canadian and we are humble. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't be confident. Right. That hockey team that, you know, the guy comes out and gives the, the good interview and the humble interview. It's the same guy who pulls somebody's jersey over and pummels them on the ice, right? Like as Canadians, we still go out there and win. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think there's, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's there is you can be humble and you can be confident, um, and you know, I, I just I think that's it's critical early on. And Emily, just for a little bit of context, because um, you are I'm assuming French Canadian. Correct probably tell from my accent <laughs> is there is there any difference from kind of your upbringing and your startup path and journey that is maybe different than some of the assumptions that you know i was making obviously making in, in my question to craig there no i like uh, as a canadian french canadian woman in a tech company in sports there's for sure some um it's it's for sure difference uh but i would say like a bit like greg like for me, as like a woman in tech, it's actually an advantage. We're not that many. Uh, diversity, as as you know, is important. Uh, people are looking to have more diversity in the company. So I would say, if you're a woman, like dream big, you can do it. Like, and it's fun to have different type of uh, view at the table. And I would say, like, even if you're French Canadian and sometimes don't master English as other, uh, it comes with it comes with a charm. It absolutely does. And I spent a lot of time working uh, with people in Montreal and uh, and I always enjoyed that. And I really enjoyed chatting with you both today. I think that if we continue this podcast you know, into multiple years, there's absolutely going to need to be a sequel. We want to see how the story goes. Uh, but for now, just want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, it's been really great learning more about you and your business and, and how you are changing sport. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com. <laughs>